you're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Welcome to Planet Pod. I'm Amanda Carpenter. And this week on the pod, we're talking about pro bono, what it is, who does it, why, and what it means to those who are in receipt of it. There are lots of myths and misunderstanding about pro bono. In fact, lots of people don't even know what it means in terms of a term. So we want to explore that. But for really, I think what you have to hang on to is the fact that it's volunteering of the best possible kind. And it really creates a difference for the organisations who are in receipt of it. So to help me unpick this and unpack this whole debate, I'm joined in the Planet Pod studio today by three guests who all bring very different experiences and expertise to this conversation. Olga Hancock leads the pro bono practice at the international law firm Simmons & Simmons. And she focuses on access to justice for individuals, social and environmental responsibility, and particularly in relation to promoting the rule of law in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goal 16. So pod listeners are familiar with the SDGs because we had a pod on global goals just recently. So welcome, Olga. Thank you. My second guest, Pascal Bird, coordinates the LRI, which is the Legal Response International, and it's an advisory service. And as well as being a qualified solicitor with enormous amount of experience, she recently volunteered for Oxfam, producing a book on climate change liability. So she brings both perspectives to the table. So welcome, Pascal. Hello, welcome. And my third guest is Charlotte Davis. Now, Charlotte has spent the last 10 years working in the charity sector, um, working with private sector firms to support NGOs, campaigning and working in the developing world. She's got enormous experience of life at the sharp end. Um, And she now works with Christian Aid. So welcome, Charlotte. Hi. Thank you so much, all three of you, for being here. Um, And we're looking forward to a really interesting and vibrant conversation. But as regular pod listeners will know, we always start with our round of the good, the bad and the ugly, introduced as ever by our own version of the iconic theme tune. So, Olga, might you have a good, bad or ugly to get us going? Uh, just recently, um, I'd say the good would be the public's response to the plastics crisis and uh, the very positive response you get from everyone you speak to in the community. It's one of the few times recently that I can speak to anyone from the, the attendant in the supermarket to a parent at the school to a partner in my law firm and everybody seems to be talking about this issue. So although it may just be a first step, it's certainly galvanising public opinion and, and support and uh, solidarity. Yeah, we're very keen on uh, plastic action here at the pod. So I agree, it's something that has gone across all sectors and all communities and it feels a really accessible step for us all to be taking. How about you, Pascal? Have you a good or bad or ugly? I think I'm going to say something about the good because there's a lot um, that is about the bad and the ugly when one talks about climate change. Um, I was on a, a trip, work trip to Sri Lanka recently and um, 
during that trip, I had the opportunity of um, uh, visiting a, a wetland project area, which um, was a very good example of sustainable urban development in uh, Colombo, in the Colombo area. Um, so Colombo is um, uh, an area that covers, um, that has uh, about uh, a quarter of the uh, whole island population. It's at a high risk of flooding. And um, in the, at the same time, it has or had uh, quite a large number of uh, wetland areas and canal system. A lot of them have disappeared as a result of uh, rapid, aggressive uh, urbanization. But um, uh, the government is now taking actions to try and reverse that and use wetland areas as part of uh, flooding uh, protection and flooding mitigation. It's incredibly interesting to see and um, a very creative and in, in, um, in, in, um, interesting uh, 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 project to uh, both uh, protect flooding but also create recreational area, improve water quality, water transport system, etc. So that's using those natural wetlands as both a barrier to flooding but also creating more of a community amenity that's right that's a fantastic project and obviously by engaging the local community presumably they're both learning about the impact of climate change as well as benefiting from something that they can use such as the the improved conditions around the wetland absolutely i think people were very local communities were very uh, suspicious initially and thinking that uh, the project was going to make things worse and that worse but then realized that actually uh, quite the opposite it could actually relieve uh, um, risk of flooding and brings lots of benefit to uh, to them i think that's the whole thing about um, environmental action isn't it whether it's plastics in the supermarket or something really huge like a wetland development it's keeping everybody on side and understanding the message how about you charlotte have you a good bad or an ugly I think I'm going to stick to the theme of positivity and I think a country that hasn't been acknowledged enough actually in this fight against plastic is the fact that Kenya has completely banned um, the use of plastic bags and I was there in January and you know if you think we here in the UK we think we're making big strides now just because we've reduced our consumption and now people have to pay for them but there they've completely banned them and my Kenyan colleague was actually explaining to me that they've now seen a rejuvenation in traditional handicrafts and the kind of bags that she said her grandmother used to weave and people are going back to being able to make an income from those handicrafts using more natural products and and reducing plastic usage hugely. So I really think um, they deserve more of a shout out in that global fight against plastic. That's fantastic. And also, we could learn from that, couldn't we? I mean, I think the thing is that we think we've got all the answers and we probably haven't. We probably know quite a lot about what the problems are and a little bit about the solutions. But as with everything in this debate, we need to work together, which I suppose brings us really neatly onto the subject of pro bono and that whole idea that there are 
are opportunities and skills that large organisations might have, both through their collective ability, but also their individual um, members of their workforce, to really contribute to making a difference. And Ogre, I wouldn't mind if, would you be okay to kick us off with a little bit of an explanation about what it means? Because many people may think this is just about lawyers giving their time, but it's actually more than that, isn't it? But you come from a, a very experienced background around this. Sure. So pro bono uh, is a Latin term meaning pro bono publica, and um, it dates actually back, predates the Roman times back to ancient uh, Greek times, and it's all about volunteering for the public good. Uh, traditionally, this is a, 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 a volunteering through the legal sector um, and, and lawyers giving their assistance or skill sets, but it, it's the term is used more broadly now and can relate to any kind of volunteering or assistance where a professional or anyone else utilises their specific skill set to give a very high-level assistance in their volunteering. And why is it so important in our wider sustainability, environmental and, you know, action around climate change debate? I think because it's a, a way of galvanising the private sector, um, and in particular law firms where I've got experience, to be able to assist and engage with the third sector and collaborate with the third sector, uh, be it uh, organisations or also assisting individuals, uh, which we also do as lawyers. Uh, it gives people within organisations, large commercial or corporate organisations such as a law firm, exposure to a much wider range of issues, a much wider range of perspectives and a much broader view of the world which assists them in their day-to-day -day work. Um, but also they likewise bring the skill sets to the third sector organisations who may not have the either the money to pay for those particular skill sets or the expertise to understand them. So it's always a collaboration and a partnership and it's it's galvanising support across sectors. Yeah. And give us some examples of how it actually works because a lot of what you're doing is around, as I said, the you, the SDG um, on, on just access to justice. How would it work in a firm like yours? You're a big international, you know, probably fairly expensive firm in terms of the, the services you offer to clients. So what sorts of projects would you and your team get engaged in? So there's two streams of pro bono generally. There's um, provision of legal services given to individuals and that's become uh, quite a critical issue in the UK over the last three or four years with the quite severe cuts to legal aid funding. Uh, there was concern within the, the legal sector that taking away legal aid funding from very vulnerable people in the community was a very socially critical type issue and causing all kinds of ongoing social problems. But also um, in terms of the... the uh, integrity of the legal system as a whole in, in England and Wales, not being able to provide access to justice and support to everybody who needs it kind of undermines the entire legal system. Um, so whilst the large law firms in no way want to supplement legal aid and the legal aid funding that was removed, um, they, they're looking at ways of collaborating again with, the, with um, frontline agencies to provide assistance to individuals who are in the most dire need. So. The scheme at Simmons & Simmons uh, relates specifically to disability benefits appeals and people who are challenging um, decisions made in relation to their disability benefits. Uh, we also have a number of other clinical programs uh, with, for example, South West London Law Centres where we're assisting people in a range of difficult situations. Uh, the second stream, as I mentioned, is assisting NGOs such as, as Christian Aid and Legal Response Interne International. And in those circumstances, lawyers um, might be able to more uh, generally draw on their specific, highly specialised skill sets that they've got. So, for example, they might be providing tax or financial advice 
or they may have a background in international law and they're drawing on those skill sets to be able to provide that very highly specialised expertise and assistance to those organisations. And it's worth a huge amount, isn't it? I mean, I know we were talking earlier about um, whether we could put a figure on it. And I, I suspect that law firms probably wouldn't necessarily want to advertise how much they were personally committing as, as businesses. But um, we are talking many millions of pounds a year worth of legal advice going into the not-for-profit and the voluntary sector, aren't we? That's correct. So at Simmons & Simmons, um, in the last financial year, we recorded about 16,000 hours of pro bono assistance globally, and the value of that was £5 million. But, I mean, that's just one measurement. So uh, you can look at that in a variety of different ways. So, for example, on our Access to Justice programme, uh, obviously there's huge social implications of being able to provide that assistance um, primarily to the clients, but also to the lawyers who engage with uh, people who are very unfortunate in the community and they're able to um, give them assistance and they may not otherwise have exposure to, to those kinds of social issues. And then, for example, if it, we, we win the appeal, which we um, often do, about 92% of the time we're, we're um, people then have access to benefits which they otherwise wouldn't have had and although that might may seem a small amount like £5,000 or £10,000 for those people that's incredibly valuable and, and that keeps them off the street in some cases um, and, and then there's some other things we can do so for example we recently assisted a, a, a large um, group of NGOs in a, one of the European countries negotiate a, a tax issue with the government that saved the group of NGOs as a whole 10 million euros per annum so those, there's those financial numbers and then there's the social benefits and the, and the, uh, the, um, the benefit of promoting justice globally, which um, is something that large law firms are able to do and, and um, work collaborative, collaboratively with globally. So it goes way beyond just the costed hours exactly, and, the, and, exactly. and the amount of, 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 if you like, lost profit to the firm because it unlocks other resources and it empowers organisations. And Pascal, that's really your role, isn't it, um, at the LRI? Because in a way, I suppose you're sort of broker bringing together the resources that some big organisations like Simmons and & Simmons and other law firms might have to offer with those organisations representing individuals in real need. Some people may not have heard of you. <laughs> so could you just give us a, a minute about what what you are and what you do as an organisation. Sure, Amanda. So the Legal Response Initiative uh, works primarily on the international plane in the UN climate change negotiations. We help developing countries, primarily LDCs, so least developing countries, but not just them, also the generally the poor, vulnerable countries that go to those negotiations but don't have access to legal support or other technical support, um, and are, as a result, very much at a disadvantage compared to the big delegations of industrialized countries who have... Uh, teams of lawyers to help them. So we try and redress that imbalance by giving them access to uh, legal support during the negotiation, primarily uh, on a pro bono basis. Um, to do that, we have a network of lawyers from law firms. So many of the big international law, for, law firms are part out of our network, but also barristers, chambers, academics, uh, NGOs, in-house lawyers also uh, participate in the network. And um, what we do, as you say, is being a broker between, on the one hand, delegations, 
negotiators from uh, developing countries who go to these negotiations and sometimes are completely at loss uh, to understand what is a very complex um, uh, negotiation process. And uh, on the one hand, and then the lawyers who give the uh, legal advice. So this is countries who want to be part of that climate change um, action, who might find it difficult to translate some of those global policies into local action or might find it difficult to negotiate on behalf of their their country so they actually understand and also can implement those changes themselves is that right that's right so when i say we work on the international plate we work in the context of the un climate change negotiations which are ongoing you will ever heard about the paris agreement that was adopted in 2015 um, the, um, uh, this agreement is very much a framework agreement. So silly, there are still lots of rules and mechanisms and procedures that need to be uh, put in place in order to make it real and to give the um, government the tools to actually implement it. So all these rules are being negotiated at the moment. So the negotiations, international negotiations, still carry on. Um, and as I say, we are helping the delegates uh, to in, in, in that process on the one hand. But then as a result of the Paris Agreement, countries also have to um, review existing legislation, policy plans, etc., to make sure that they um, comply with whatever commitments they have taken under the Paris Agreement reduce their uh, emissions, etc. So we uh, are starting as well to help countries with uh, that aspect of the uh, of the um, of their work. Because I suspect a lot of people thought, you know, there's a lot of noise about Paris and people's organisations signed up, countries signed up. And for many people, they must have thought, well, that's all sorted now. But actually, what you're saying is like, with all of these international global um, statements, there's so much work underneath that in layers and layers and layers of policy and initiatives and, and negotiations and understanding that, that this is an ongoing issue, isn't it? It's by no means a done deal. Indeed, uh, completely. It's the Paris Agreement is really the starting, starting point and uh, countries have all committed to reducing their emission. They have all... Uh, or the majority have put forward na nationally determined contributions, but there's already a recognition that these won't be sufficient to achieve the goal under the Paris Agreement, which is to keep the uh, temperature rise well under two degrees and also to uh, pursue efforts to limit it to 1.5 degrees above uh, pre-industrial level. So there's still a lot to, of work to be done and um, also climate change is very much a cross-cutting issue that impacts on all aspects of countries' economies. So it's not just an environmental issue, but it's something that will impact on energy, on agriculture, on um, infrastructure, urban developments, etc. So uh, yes, there's uh, a lot of work that needs to be done at all levels of, uh, of countries' economy to um, make sure that they, 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 as I said, that they bring their policies and plans um, in line with, with, the, with the Paris Agreement and the development mm -hmm. goals. Hugely challenging. 
Olga, do you find that your colleagues are excited by the idea of offering this kind of expertise and pro bono support to an organisation like LRI and actually getting engaged with really meaty things that might go beyond their normal day-to-day legal practice? Oh, very much so. I mean, people like uh, engaging with a different perspective on the world and utilising their skill sets to assist a a, a particular social or environmental clause. Um, I I do find it depends on... It's different, you know, horses for courses. It's uh, different people are very engaged in different issues. So the the motivator generally behind a, a particular lawyer getting involved in a particular project is is not so much the skill sets they bring, but the issue which might, may interest them. So there are many lawyers in the firm who are very interested in climate change and environmental issues. Others are interested in, in, in other areas like social justice or frontline services in the United Kingdom. So generally there's something which interests everybody. But for those who are interested in environmental causes and sustainability, the, the work of the LRI is very much something they can engage with and bring their skill sets to. Okay, sorry, Pascal. Yes, I wanted to add to that, to that, uh, to say that, um, as I just mentioned, climate change is a cross-cutting issue and um, it allows lawyers to work on issues which are not their day-to-day bread and butter uh, uh, routine work, but also work on new emerging areas of law. And I think it's fair to say that for some of them, it has been a really eye-opening experience. And um, the lawyers who assist us are, as uh, Olga said, some of them are are experts, many of them experts in their field, but there's also a role for junior volunteers. So we are also keen to work with law clinics, for example, at universities in different countries. And students often are very keen to engage and work with us. And there's work they can do because they can, they can work on research, which then will be used by some uh, lawyers, more senior lawyers, expert on the network. So there's opportunities at all levels, whatever your um, degree of seniority and your expertise. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not that old-fashioned, rather sort of patriarchal, patronising relationship. And I think... You know, that's particularly, you, we could have primed you for that because I think that leads into some of the things that I know Charlotte wants to talk about is that that relationship between the not-for-profit, um, the, what's commonly known as the third sector, which covers a huge number of organisations now, ones that are primarily there not to make a profit, although they don't necessarily run on the breadline. Some of them are very big, very profitable in terms of turnover organizations but that relationship is no longer having good done to you it's very much a partnership now between organizations from the commercial world who can support and engage with organizations who work in in the not-for-profit sector charlotte has that been your experience of of how that relationship's developed and changed yeah absolutely we have really good relationships with the pro bono lawyers who support us and i think they equally recognize our expertise in some of the areas that we're working on with them it's just that we really need that legal support and that legal sign off so we do need them to come in where we're a bit unsure around a piece of policy um particularly if it's our campaigning or advocacy work Um, But no, I think the relationship is really equal, it's really respectful and we've had nothing but a positive experience because it enables us to do work that we basically wouldn't be able to do. 
Um, you know, we've been working with Simmons and Simmons for some time now, um, particularly on land rights for indigenous people in Colombia. And they've helped us achieve things we could never have achieved by preparing international amicuses that we can take to the international courts. Um, and I think, you know, that's the real benefit. And you can also tell the huge passion that these lawyers have for these subjects. Um, as Olga was just saying, um, that's also really great that you you don't feel like you're a burden. They really want to get involved and they really want to help. And that's definitely been our experience. We're going to take a brief pause and a break now. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Planet Pod, brought to you by Akil Management and the Planet Mark. Do get in touch with us. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or visit the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe to the pod and download earlier episodes. Welcome back. I've been really interested by what we've been saying about the benefit to lawyers, but um, in terms of their opportunities to engage with subjects that they wouldn't necessarily talk about and necessarily part of their day-to-day business. But Charlotte, there's much more to it than this, isn't there? I mean, I think there's other learning and skills and expertise that the not-for-profit sector can feed back into the commercial world. How does that work for an organisation like yours? What are the sorts of things that you think you're teaching, in inverted commas, some of your more corporate colleagues? Um, We probably engage them in some interesting debates, particularly as we're an organisation that campaigns uh, hugely on tax justice. So that definitely fuels some interesting conversations. And I think that's really healthy. I think if you look back in the days when it was all about boycotting and kind of, you know, just throwing tomatoes at organisations you didn't really agree with, I think you achieve a lot more with dialogue. And we've actually had huge pro bono support from various law firms on our advocacy around tax. And quite recently, we actually saw um, some policy legislation that's being changed as a result of that support. So I think, you know, both sides are quite cautious around conflict of interest. We, we're we realistic. We know that, you know, they work probably with some companies that, okay, so therefore we can't help you on this particular piece of work, but we're all adults and we understand the different viewpoints that we're coming from. But I think, you know, when you talk about access for justice, that's something that... Um, we're all very passionate about um, that we're all working on together. So I think you find these areas where you're, you both are working to achieve the common good, essentially. And I think climate change is another area that no one really disputes that they want to work on. Yeah, I suppose it's also gone beyond that old fashioned notion of volunteering. Going back to what you were saying earlier, Olga, about pro bono isn't just lawyers giving their time for free it's actually all organizations or individuals engaging in some form of voluntary commitment and we've got away from the everybody turning up to paint the scout hut notion of volunteering and and I think that's probably a good thing isn't it Charlotte? No absolutely and actually it's really difficult for a lot of organizations to coordinate when somebody says oh I just you know want to give a day 
of my time and you're like well I don't really know how to just bring you into our organization for a day but if you've got really valuable skill whether that's legal whether that's being able to give accountancy advice or business advice I think the great thing is the legal sector has kind of um influenced or um, inspired other sectors to get involved with this idea of giving their skills rather than as you said getting a team together to go and paint something for a day so and I think that can only benefit the third sector yeah and we don't really want to just focus on what's happening internationally while obviously that's hugely important because I think that the, the notion that a skilled individual can contribute to the third sector they don't necessarily have to get involved in some of these global initiatives they can do things at local level too can't they, they can get involved in local charities or or community organizations yeah absolutely and i think as olga touched on you know the legal sector's really responded here in the uk to those cuts by the government in legal aid so that's the thing simmons and simmons are helping you know, people um, get access to their land in Colombia, but they're also helping people in Southwest London access justice. So, yeah. And it doesn't just have to be lawyers. I'm full of lots of lawyers around the table, but, but anybody who's got a professional skill can become engaged and involved in this. And from your experience, Olga, what are the sorts of things that people bring back to the firm, as well as an understanding of what life is like? I mean, are they bringing other development skills, skills they can use in their own work within the business? Um, they certainly are. So, for example, a lot of uh, lawyers, as Pascal mentioned, maybe at a more junior level, and when they go to do this pro bono work, they get opportunities to work at a much more a much higher level than they normally would. They get to, to lead a project or they get to, to, to run a case in court, appear in court, um, have interface with a client that they may not get to do at a more junior level. Um, there's also opportunities for broadening skill sets. So, um, for example, we're doing some, some – I, I said I wouldn't touch on Brexit, but I will on this one. We're, we're assisting a charity with some international trade issues at the moment, and I was able to uh, convince a particular department within our firm to do that because that will become more and more of an issue with um, – uh, with, with Brexit and needing to understand about international trade-related law. So they can certainly expand their skill sets in that respect. Um, and, and also just being able to interface directly with a, a client, a third sector client, and look at the community from a very different perspective. I think there's a desperate need um, in, in the Western world at the moment for people to, to bridge that barrier between different sectors of the community. And pro bono is a wonderful place to kind of, you know, burst, burst the filter bubble and, and, and enable people to see what other people's lives are like and bring that back to your day-to-day -day experience within the corporate world. So you can really develop skills as a, a younger person or somebody developing your own career by working with a, a third sector organisation and not necessarily just on an international case. I mean, perhaps sitting on a local trustee board, helping with business planning. I mean, I think, Charlotte, you were talking about business plans that you were sharing across the developing world, weren't you? Yes, yeah, so we um, have a big project that recently started supporting female social entrepreneurs in renewable energy, actually. Um, so it's in Kenya, Burkina Faso, Malawi and Honduras. And so looking at how they can set up small businesses selling, say, solar lamps, cook stoves, those sorts of things. But they need to submit business plans. So that's where we're looking for people in those countries who work for, you know, the kind of big accountancies who can assist with those types of things. And I think that should be quite a nice 
interesting project that will only require about five days of somebody's time um, to really help such an exciting initiative. Yeah, so it's transformational, isn't it? And the idea of leveraging so much more value off the back of what could be quite a small engagement and and bringing something back to your organisation as well. So this is a real mutually beneficial relationship that's been developing. Um, Pascal, can I just ask you, how do your colleagues in some of the developing countries feel about the way the Paris Agreement and the rollout is going and the climate change initiatives? Um, Were they depressed, um, upset, annoyed about America's action and pulling out of Paris? Or has that just spurred them to greater action themselves? Well, there is clearly big disappointment and uh, about the um, uh, the possibility uh, of the U.S. Uh, withdrawing for the Paris Agreement because you have to uh, um, realize that, that actually the U.S. are still in the agreement. The earliest they could withdraw is by the end of 2020. So they're still at the moment in it. And um, they are much more subdued, shall we say, that they used to be in the negotiations and their teams are smaller, but they are not equally obstructive generally. They are bringing something to the table. Uh, but yes, of course, uh, to answer your question, uh, there are clients in developing countries and the NGOs that help uh, those countries are, are very disappointed because... Um, it will make a huge uh, difference. But I think that uh, people to some extent have moved on from that or there's a determination that this is a process that cannot be reversed. And um, there are other countries that are there or groups of countries that are there to fill in the gaps left by the uh, leadership of the US, EU, China, and, and, and others, and uh, also some um, some uh, groups of uh, countries that are very much at the forefront of climate change, of the impacts of climate change, who are um, taking this decisive action and being very vocal in the negotiations. So in a way, almost, it's allowed others to step up into the conversation. And, yeah. um, and I'm reassured and relieved that um, America's still there, even if in a, a much more low-key fashion. And yeah. I guess we can just hope and pray that that, like so many other things, gets gets reversed by yet another executive order. But mustn't strain to politics. Um, so, so that's encouraging, isn't it? The, the thought that those organisations can step forward and those NGOs and country representatives can actually perhaps step up to the plate in a way that they may not have done actually if America been there yeah. in its with its big voice. Yeah. Absolutely. And just if I may, uh, coming back to what you were saying earlier about um, uh, the transformational um, experience that lawyers can have in the context of the work we do, in addition to working in the UN negotiations, um, there are opportunities as well for some of the lawyers who work with us to actually go in-country and uh, help uh, lawyers, but also negotiators to actually um, uh, understand the negotiation. So we help train, training them. So we do 
capacity building on the understanding that what we do at, during the negotiation is all very well, but it is an ad hoc service. And ultimately, you want um, to train those negotiators and lawyers so they don't need to rely on us. So there are opportunities for the lawyers to actually go on the ground and see for themselves what are the main challenges that those countries face, what are the priorities, and help them um, in a more sustainable way. Well, that's absolutely vital, isn't it? And, and for all aspects of pro bono volunteering, it isn't about, um, you know, I'll come, I'll do this, I'll walk away, and then you'll need to come back again, cap in hand for more help. It's about building, as you say, capacity and skills, both in country and in organisations, to, to be able to do it you know, unaided moving forward. And Charlotte, you must have a lot of experience of that idea of actually leveraging long-term change. Yeah, and I think it's these long-term partnerships as well because we've been working with Simmons and Simmons since 2011. So we have that confidence when we go to them with an issue that they really understand our organisation, what we're about, our values. And we don't have to re-explain that all over again if it was just getting ad hoc support from different organisations. So I think for that, we find that really valuable. Mm. Olga, did you want to step in? <laughs> I, I think engaging in a long-term partnership or kind of more in the relationship on a more strategic basis definitely benefits us as well. So we've got a number of strategic long-term partnerships and that enables our lawyers to really understand the client and understand their, their particular line of work, really understand the organisation, and then you can, can, broaden the, um, can broaden the engagement. So, for example, we just uh, co-hosted an art exhibition on dementia with uh, um, Alzheimer's Research UK, which is one of our strategic pro bono partners. That's in addition to giving a significant amount of I, um, IP advice and also ICT-related advice to enable a lot of their recent... Um, developments to to move forward um so the, the, you can really and then the lawyers have become very engaged in that client they'll, they'll do things like carry out lab visits um and really understand their visit uh, their, their business which which is not completely disrelated to their their business their day job so well it's fascinating isn't it because it's that idea that 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 we are so much closer now as sectors, the, the not-for-profit and the profit sector. We're really two halves of that whole, aren't we? We're much more of a holistic relationship. And whatever level that you choose to engage with, whether it's country-led, international, strategic around some of those big issues around climate change or something much more local, which might be around, you know, assisting your local Alzheimer's um, society or, or organisation, there's a real benefit to both the the practitioner of, with the skill or the, or the, and the recipient um, organisation. And Og, you said something to me earlier about um, the analogy of the cake sale. <laughs> and I think that's really pertinent because for, for me that really summarised this whole debate is actually we've got, got to be more grown up and, and not-for-profit organisations have got to be quite grown up in their ask, haven't they? They've got to be mature enough to say, I need this kind of help. You know, money is always good, but I actually need skills. So, can you just share your little vignette also, about the case? For example, the the, the the example I always give is is um, you know previously you know corporate responsibility and sustainability and uh, responsible business has very much moved on now from the the, the cake sale to you know raising funds to a mu being able to offer a much more 
broader range of skill sets and, and, and really create an in-depth um, and mutually beneficial relationship. So, for example, you may have a, a female partner at Simmons & Simmons whose bill-out rate is, is several hundred pounds an hour and um, has a very high level of technical expertise, is a highly, highly skilled worker. So, for example, it would be a little bit redundant for her to spend the weekend baking a cake and then to come in on a Monday morning and spend an hour selling the cake that may make a couple of pounds profit, as opposed to giving that time... Uh, for example, providing tax advice to Christian aid, which the leveraging of which could be several million pounds, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so really just on a basic cost-benefit analysis, um, putting aside all the broader social implications of that and engagement issues, it makes a lot more sense to, to follow that, that particular path and to engage in the high level of skill set. We'll be flooded with tweets now saying, what's wrong with bake sales? <laughs> Nothing. Keep them coming, but we need both. And actually that encapsulates how you can do this. It can be as little as a couple of hours of somebody's time that can be transformational to an organisation. So that's something I think people need to bear in mind is what have you got to give in terms of a skill or an expertise or an insight? And, you know, sometimes just a phone call and a mentoring experience, because I know when I was a chief exec of a not-for-profit, just being able to pick up the phone to somebody who sat outside the organisation was hugely beneficial to, to me and to my team. We always close with a call to action. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but I wonder if you've got one. Charlotte, have you got one for pod Yeah, listeners? I just want to echo what you were saying as somebody who works in the third sector and really benefits from this support. If any of your listeners think, I've actually got some amazing experience, some amazing skill sets. I'd really urge you to get in contact with a cause or a particular charity that you're passionate about, that you support, and and see if there's any way you can contribute with your, your skills. Yeah, you don't have to have shed loads of cash. Time no, is really valuable. Pascal? Talking about uh, Legal Response International and um, the legal dimensions of climate change, I think um, I want to say to your listeners that if you are thinking about um, moving into the law but are interested in about uh, sustainable development goals, climate change, environmental issues, etc., and think the two might not be necessarily compatible, think again. There are definitely big opportunities there for lawyers to make a, a big contribution and make a difference on climate change, both at the international level, but also on national, subnational level. So that's a call out to all potential lawyers who are listening. And how about you, Olga? Have you got a call um, for I'll action? I'll reflect the earlier two speakers, I think. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of issues in the world at the moment that can seem very, very overwhelming and I think the way to, to deal with that on a personal level is just to look at what's immediately in front of you and, and as I said earlier, to pick one particular thing you're particularly passionate about and, and very much just focus on that and you can make real differences um, by, by focusing just on that one thing and giving your time and energy to the one thing you really care about. And um, Yeah. I think that I'm going to put a call out there for everybody, not just lawyers, because um, I know we do have quite a lot of um, listeners in the legal sector, but, but beyond that as well. So if you've got a skill or an interest, then don't be shy. Uh, contact your local organisation or even an international organisation and offer your expertise. And I'm sure you would be welcomed. There's always room for people to bring skills and energy and ideas and perspectives to the table. 
Thank you so much to my guests, to Charlotte Davis from um, Christian Aid, to Olga Hancock from Hancock from Simmons and Simmons. There's the cake, cake, you see. There's a Freudian thing in there about cakes. It's your fault, Olga. And to Pascal Bird from Legal Response International. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion, and thank you for your time. Thanks, as always, to Jim, who um, does an enormous amount of pro bono as a producer because there's so much that has to happen to get the pod out there onto our website or onto a podcast provider near you. And thanks to to Breakthrough Funding for, for, for being supportive all the way through. You've been listening to Planet Pod. Um, join us again next time. And don't forget to download and subscribe. Subscribe.